I don't even think about those kind of issues. The Bible is not, God is not playing games. <clears throat> I do not even want to think about that question at all. It is going to happen. Now, we all recognize that this is not the most accurate of prophecies, but he is not, he is not alone. So this list here is a list of Christian dates since I've been born when the world was supposed to end. Some form of somebody, a preacher, some, some member of some denomination, some member of the Christian community has predicted at least this many times that the world is going to end since, since I've been alive. The most recent, um, in 2021, a prediction about um, 80 years after the founding of the state of Jerusalem in 1948. So it's supposed to come between 2018 and 2028, but the rapture will certainly happen at the end of 2021. Now, obviously something that's happened often, I could also find about six to eight times that have already been predicted in the next decade by Christians of when the world is going to end. So, what I'd like to do tonight is talk about uh, the end of the world. Let's talk about these prophecies, in particular, uh, ones like Mr. Kevin, how do we deal with those and the issues maybe surrounding them? What are we told about the end of the world and what are we to do about it? First, the, the end of the world and the way that Mr. Camping and others who make these predictions comes from looking at parts of the Bible uh, that are apocalyptic language. Now, right out of the gate, uh, apocalyptic is a, um, a slippery word. Not really sure how to, to best define it. Here's my, here's my attempt. Uh, it's a, a form of literature, a form of writing that is that is grand, is complex, references cosmic things and metaphors to describe events that will happen or that are happening in a real world. We think about apocalyptic things when we think about uh, the end of the world. Have you ever thought the end of the world was about to happen? I, know I, have, I brought this uh, topic up in the uh, summer Bible series in the high school class. Callie Livingston was the only one who was willing to admit that she had also thought of a time like this is it. Um, I remember uh, I was in Mississippi State. I was living with uh, four guys in this house uh, before. This was a, just a few months before uh, Julie and I. Julie uh, forced me to marry her. And, uh, we lived in this house with these other guys. And it was very close to one of those tornado sirens, you know what I'm talking about, that kind of scattered across the city. I was deep in some room cycle asleep. This thing goes off, and I was like, man, this is it. Like, I could tell, this is it. Um, spoiler, it wasn't it. But oftentimes, we think about things that are uh, dramatic. Mr. Camping takes these things, takes language, and tries to predict when they're going to happen. What's wrong with looking at the Bible and what Mr. Camping is doing? First, he is using the Bible as something that's written in code. And we like things like that because we like to know the future, even if it means it's in code. If you can tell me uh, something that's going to happen, that's great uh, because 
I don't like unexplainable things. Um, if things happen in America, we like to know why it happened or who is to blame. Um, and it helps us with our problems. If I can find a code where it talks about God is going to fix something in 2011, then I don't have to worry about it anymore. And we like the dramatic. And Harold Camping was certainly uh, dramatic. The problem was, first, he was using the Bible uh, as code. And, he, and here's what I mean. He's, him and others have used the entire Bible as apocalyptic language. Yes, it has narratives. Yes, it has stories. But deep inside of it is a complex math problem. And the, the idea is to use it to explain ancient events, modern events, and one significant future event. He's not the only one. This snippet down below is from a website where a man talked about um, the Bible code uh, in 2022. Now, I felt like this one was was pretty good for hitting home for, for recent news. This is a, a snapshot of him squishing all of the, the, the characters together in the Old Testament. And what he does, that vertical red line spells out the word Titanic. And underneath it, the blue is a quote from Ezekiel chapter 26 and verse 5, where it says this. She shall be a place of the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken it, says the Lord, and she become a plunder of the nations. Now to quote. In its original context, this was a prophecy of doom directed at the Isle of Tyre. So far, so good. A city which was deemed by its own residents to be impenetrable and inconquerable. This assumption was proven wrong in 331 B.C., when a navy commanded by Alexander the Great successfully penetrated its walls and destroyed the city, thus fulfilling Ezekiel's prophecy. What the Lord has so brilliantly done here is he has taken this ancient prophecy about ancient Tyre and transposed its meaning onto the Titanic. How do you know? Because if you switch the letters together and you skip count a certain number, you can spell out the word Titanic vertically right above Ezekiel chapter 26 and verse 5. Using the Bible as code, you can find a lot of different names, obviously. It's called confirmation bias. You can find Hitler. You can find Saddam Hussein. You can find JFK. You can find a lot of people if you follow this same map. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying the Bible doesn't have anything to do with numbers. It's probably a standalone lesson on itself. The idea of the significance of numbers in the Bible. Chapter, the number 40, spiritual completeness, for example. And Jesus tempted three times by Satan. Jesus asking God for help and praying in the garden three times. Suffering for three hours. Dead, dead for three days. There's, there's multiple ways uh, that the Bible uses numbers. But not like this. Complex math, uh, where, where God uses intense interpretation, perhaps a little astronomy every once in a while. If there's, if there's evidence of God writing the Bible like this, he did a very poor job of revealing it to us. Second, the Bible, as we know, as I've got up here, perhaps you've got in your lap, was not available uh, to its first audience. What do I mean? Uh, what do I mean by this? What we call the Bible was not available to its original audience. 
When the, and why is that important to think about in this context? When the people of Laodicea read the letter that Paul had written to the Colossians, they were using its principles and applying it to that church at that day. They weren't trying to figure out a code or, or a problem that was going to be happening in 1800s or the 1900s or even, or even at the end of the world. It's a similar point to the one about the Bible code. If God wanted the New Testament writers to read in a code or something cosmic or figure out a complex math problem, he wouldn't have had Paul say the things like Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 4. When you read, you can understand. You can understand what? The mystery of Christ. This is about Jesus, his life, his resurrection, and the implications of that. That's why I'm writing to you. And nothing more. If a passage is supposed to be about the fall of Babylon or the Corinthian church or September 11th, but I believe we have clearly gone astray if we think we're going to spin it in that direction. The last one, the Bible is not entirely literal. It's easy to see that the Bible isn't meant to be entirely literal. Think about 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 when, when Peter says... But do not let this fact escape your notice, beloved, that the Lord, like with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Mr. Camping has taken that and taken it literally to use in his math equation. What is Peter trying to say? Is Peter trying to say that the rest of the Bible, when you see the words year, or when you see the words day, this is the equation reference that you should cite? I don't think so. He means that when it comes to these topics, time is a condition that we are bound to. So words like days and words like delay mean something to us. Don't think that they mean the same thing to God that we're talking about. That's basically Peter's point. Not, remember, one day, thousand years. There's a couple of other examples where the Bible isn't always... You know, literal. There's metaphors throughout. Jesus was not a literal light. He was not a literal door. There are apocalyptic, cosmic kind of languages that are used all throughout the Bible. Let's look quickly at a couple. Isaiah chapter 13, verses 9 through 11. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land of desolation. And you will exterminate its sinners from it, for the stars from heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. You can take this and see war happening in Ukraine and see this is what's happening. Or you can read in Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 1 and recognize that this is a prophecy against Babylon, the great and powerful nation. A great and powerful nation being judged is as if the universe is coming apart. This is, this is big. This is a grand problem for them. It's the point that I think is being made here by Isaiah in chapter 13. 
It's not that the moon will no longer be seen anymore. It's not that the sun will no longer be seen anymore, etc. It is, this is so grand, so powerful. The fall of Babylon, you might as well have the universe falling apart. How significant this is. There is a difference in seeing apocalyptic language in the Bible and seeing the entire Bible as an apocalyptic book. The latter leads to a worldview where everything is set on edge and there is a constant game of I spy the end of the world. This country wants to attack Israel, which means the end is here because this is going to turn red and there are Cobra helicopters swarming like locusts in the book of Revelation. Let's be careful with how we treat the Bible and playing I spy the end of the world. Okay? So what are we told about the end of the world? <laughs> how are we supposed to read about the end times? Now, I freely admit these things are difficult. They're difficult to understand, and that's part of what this lesson is about, is for, for to help myself and thus to help potentially, potentially us. Let's start with the easy one. What are we told about the end of the world? No one knows when. Despite Callie thinking it was going to happen, despite what I think it was going to happen, no one knows when. A couple of passages in the New Testament to kind of put a nail, put a nail on this point. Back to the one uh, that Cameron read. The day of the Lord is compared to a thief in which the heavens will pass away with the war and the elements will be destroyed with intensity. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Now as to the periods and the times, brothers and sisters, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord is coming just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The thief, a metaphor. Pretty simple to understand. It's unknown. The metaphor of a pregnant woman in labor pains in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Again, easy to understand. It's not going to be stopped. Even if it's acknowledged, even if it's acknowledged or coddled or, 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 or retreated, it's happening. You're having a baby. You know, if a baby starts to come, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, look, you're having a baby. Even if you were to see Jesus coming down, wait a minute, this is peace. It's happening. It's happening. It is sure, and it is not known when it will happen. Also, it's happening. And I'd like to talk a little bit about how we, how we perhaps see what it will be like. We treat heaven and earth sometimes, and we get this from our, from our society, from, from generations, centuries of, of culture building, I think. We treat the difference between heaven and earth as places of distance, far apart, but so different, and earth is the bad place, and heaven and the spiritual world is the, the good place, and they're far away from each other. The world we can see is bad because we're in it. The me focus, 
and we have to be evacuated from here so that this place can be utterly destroyed. Let's recognize that this isn't the only place that's in trouble. Remember in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 that there is a war spiritually as well. There's conflict outside what we can physically see. Satan, uh, that Leland talked about uh, recently, uh, again, kind of confirms uh, this point. The spiritual and the physical world are both uh, in some sort of trouble and in conflict with, uh, with each other. The end of the world is more of a transformation of the worlds that we live in. A couple of thoughts to keep in mind. Romans chapter 6. <laughs> you look at Romans chapter 6. This is the passage we often use. And to me, one of the more powerful ones to explain why baptism is so essential and important for us as Christians. In chapter 6 and verse 4, in verse 8 and verse 11, we, we often talk about what baptism is. And Paul uses it as a reflection of what happened to Jesus. Just as he was buried and just as he was alive again, now we are also buried, dead, and alive now. Our transformation, our renewal has already started. We're not necessarily waiting for something else to happen. It is happening now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. There is a newness that is a part of us. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, we are building and transforming the world today. 1 Peter chapter 2, and this is the way that, to me, the only way, the analogy that Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 2 works, that we are looking to Jesus as the cornerstone, and we are building up the house of God. Our good deeds and obedience, our faithful spread of the message, our unity together in worship, our care and concern for each other, our building blocks forming our own lives and thus shaping our part in the house of God. Brick by brick, pillar by pillar, painting by painting, building the house of God. Now, not waiting for something to happen. It's happening today. This transformation of the world involves both dimensions. If you look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 19, Romans chapter 8 and verse 19, Paul says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself also would be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan with ourselves, eagerly awaiting our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Creation 
sees what's going on right now. And for so long, the physical world has been subject to decay. It sees what's happened at the resurrection, and it can't wait to be fully renewed. Fully renewed along with what? Our bodies. Verse 23. There are, there are multiple examples, we cannot not take the time to read the bottom two. There are multiple examples of passages where one of the characteristics of a transformed world is the transformation of our bodies, our physical bodies. The only example that we have in the New Testament of this is Jesus. It's a great example, but we know that he had a physical body. What was it like? Not sure. It had the ability to walk and talk. It had the ability to be changed forms and not be recognized. It had the ability to appear in a room suddenly. It had the ability to eat fish. Is it the same person? Yes. Is it a completely different body? Yes. That is what it means to be transformed. When Paul talks about the idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he describes it as the, as the, the relationship between a seed and a plant. Are they the same? Yes. Are they transformed? Yes. And this is certainly what is going to happen. I could imagine we would go around the room and, and be thankful for that. I'm sure that there's some times where you know, some of your fingers are, and, and your arm is the only thing that doesn't hurt. Uh, and sometimes it hurts painfully. What a blessing it will be to be, have something that is transformed into a, into a body that is new. The world as we know it will end, sure, but be transformed into something new that God is building. John calls it the new heavens and the new earth that will be brought down in Revelation chapter 21. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is writing to the church and comforting those who are saddened because one of their Christian brothers or sisters has died. Whatever their views were on death, they're troubled by it. And Paul wants to comfort them by telling them what's going to happen. Paul says you don't need to be grieving because it's not hopeless. Why is it not hopeless? Paul says because the dead will be back. And we will meet them together with our victor, Jesus, in the air. So, what are we to do until the end of the world? The end of the transformation will come at a time where we do not know, nor dare to be concerned about. The goal is not play the game of I spy the end of the world, like Mr. Camping would. If God told us when this was going to happen, he did a poor job of communicating it, or he did an unfair job of hiding it. What are we to do? Two things, quickly. Remember that hope and transformation starts now. It starts today. We recognize the glimpses of full transformation in our current world. It's easy to look at the world as a whole and pick out the apocalyptic movie script type things and focus on them. The ones that happen around Jerusalem, perhaps, or around wars, 
or around pandemics. It's easy to focus on these things and say this is the sign of the end. What I'm proposing to us, brothers and sisters, is think about our own transformation. Think about the things in our own life where we are changed, how we care for each other, and say this is a sign of a transformation. There are biblical narratives that paint the picture of hope throughout the Bible. The story of the Exodus, the second marriage of Ruth and eventual line of David, the defeat of the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, the return of the captives to Babylon, the bursting of the prison doors to free Jesus' messengers, the relief from famine to those in Jerusalem from their brethren that they will not ever meet until the transformation is complete. On and on and on. These, brothers and sisters, are the signs of the end times. The transformation of God's people, the building of God's house, brick by brick, pillar by pillar. Personally, think for a second or two about a place you've been in the world that gave you goosebumps just because of the atmosphere around you. All your senses were fully engaged, and you wouldn't even dare say that you were in God's presence. You got that place? I would, I would venture to guess it's outside. In creation, we see the beauty of nature's renewal, nature's power, God's power. These are signs of the times, of the end, and the transformation to something new. But a personal one for me, and maybe it will I'll influence you to be a personal one for you uh, here as well. In this building... We have an excellent uh, acoustically uh, pleasing building, and you can hear a multitude of sounds and harmonies. But every once in a while, if you're listening carefully, you can pick out the singing of a child that's seven, six, four years old. Listen for it. <laughs> I tell you what, that is a sign of the end times to me. Transformation, the power of a young voice singing like he or she don't care. <laughs> that is transformation. Remember that, that the end of the world is not pandemics and wars. It is us caring for each other and remembering what has been done for us. And then quickly get to work. You kind of tie this a little bit to what David did a really good job talking about this morning. One of the consequences of look, one of the consequences of looking for the end of the world, like Mr. Camping would do, is that Christians unite in this belief and manufacture boundaries around themselves to ensure they are ready. Any group can be guilty of this. We could even be guilty of this at some point. It leads to big problems, a lack of concern for the world. If we're constantly looking for the end, we're trying to calculate the end, we will have less concern about those in the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, Paul is concluding his message about the resurrection. And what does he say? 
He's talked about the resurrection, the proof of it, and the power of it. And he does not say it will take place 4,000 years or 7,000 years after the flood. He doesn't even say hang tight. He says be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. When you think about your resurrection, don't hide and wait. Get to work. Get to work. Why? Because we are to do the work of God now as a new creation, waiting for the full new creation and the new earth to burst on the scene. And what a day that will be. Everything we do right now, brick by brick, pillar by pillar, building the house of God. <clears throat> I really appreciate your attention. Let me talk a little bit um, by way of, of invitation. Um, Harold Camping died December 15th, 2013. And, and his account to God is to him and God. And so will happen to us. <clears throat> Unless God brings the judgment and the new heavens and the new earth first. When this will happen is a question, hopefully, convince you tonight that we need to just divorce from our minds. Trying to figure out when it will happen is a question we as Christians, whether that be Mr. Kevin or those who have come before us and after us who predicted the end of the world, something to divorce our minds from. When it will happen is not the question. Are you ready for it to happen, is the question. If you're not, the good thing is, Jesus Christ is here for you, knocking at the door, asking you to believe in him, confess, as we referenced in Romans chapter 6, be renewed in your life just as he was in the waters of baptism. If you are a Christian and there is a reason for you to be concerned about your position uh, when Jesus uh, comes back. Uh, you need the prayers of the saints here. So whatever uh, you, you may need, if we can help you in any way, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.